Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Scroobius Pip and this is the Distraction Pieces podcast. Um, thanks for tuning in, guys. More more and more amazing reactions recently. The reaction to the Sophia Batella podcast next, uh, last week was absolutely amazing. I kind of pre-warned people it was one of my favourite ones I've ever recorded and you all seem to agree, which was lovely. But what an amazing story that that young lady has. So... Hope you all enjoyed that. I'm sounding a bit sniffly, aren't I? I think hay fever's starting to kick in. Um, I'm away filming at the moment. Previously, I've not been able to mention uh, what it is, but we've now announced it. I'm filming. I'm doing a film called a Walk Like a Panther with S- Stephen Graham, previously of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Dave Johns, previously of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Michael Soccer, previously of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Rob Parker. Previously of the Distraction Pieces podcast, Neil Fitzmorris, who's on this week, um, <laughs> Christopher Fairbank, who's on next week in a two-part. So obviously, I've been hustling on set to make sure I'm not missing a week of podcasts for you guys. So yeah, it's been amazing. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Before we get into it, speechdevelopmentrecords.com. I mention this every week. That's the sponsor of the podcast. But by God, do I have to mention it this week because you guys have blown me away. So, since the last intro, I released my Dark Summer merch, which is swimsuits, swim shorts, leggings, vests, all sorts of stuff, but also some sunglasses that have the label slogan on, which is, we may not be for you, and that's fine. Um, It's kind of a... uh, I took it on as the label slogan. It was kind of an adaptation of the Millwall. I'm a, I've been a Millwall fan since I was five. Um, of the Millwall slogan of "No one likes us, and we don't care." It's taking that in a less aggressive manner. I apologise for my sniffling here. I'm, I said hay fever's starting to grab me. So we released those sunglasses, and they look really good. And they went absolutely mental. I'd, I'd had, I'll, I'll, I'll give the numbers. I'm an open guy. I. I'd had 300 pairs made because I thought sunglasses is an unusual thing to release. I don't know how popular that'd be. They all sold out in the first week. So we have no pairs available. I'm doing everything I can to get more in before July. So we're going to have a new batch in. But if you want a pair of those sunglasses, if you head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com, you can, if you click on the sunglasses, you can put your email address down to be notified as soon as they come in. Because, yeah, there's a good chance that they might sell out again it's blown me away so thank you very much to everyone for that um i've been reposting pictures of people in the swimsuits in the swim shorts and in the sunglasses so if you've got them then tag me on social media and um it's amazing to see there's also a signed section at speechdevelopmentrecords.com and you can get my dvd signed two of my books signed there's some vinyl in there there's solo Dan Lasak album and there's the Lasak versus Pip stuff so there's loads to choose from yeah just head over there and, and have a lovely time um on with the podcast so I mean we talk about it all and we can't go into great detail on this particular film but on my first day I was I, I, oh, I knew in advance but I was paired up with with Neil Fitzmorris he's kind of he's training me and Guz in this film um, again, I'm not going into any detail, but um, we just, just 
just absolutely hit it off instantly. Um, obviously, I was already aware of his work and a fan of his works, so it was was lovely to get to to work with someone like that. I mean, we're still filming at the moment, and yeah, we kind of were talking a lot on set, and that's what's happened with this and and with next week's. It's it's the two people that on set I was having the most amazing conversations with, and I was just like, look, let's try and let's let, uh, let's have that conversation on the podcast. So on this week's one. Um, and me and Neil found a spare 90 minutes uh, between scenes, so actually on set in the catering section. Um, and then on, on next week's, uh, we had a spare day, so I sat down with Chris Fairbank, and my lord, he's such an amazing dude. It ended up being a two-parter, and the first half is all just talking about him growing up in the 50s and 60s and 70s, the amazing story he's got. He's led a, a mind-blowing life. And then in the second half, I wanted to, to get into some of his back catalogue because he's been he's been acting for f- forty years, um, and we only got because he's got so, so many good stories. We only got through three things, I think. So Alvida Zane Pet was what made him a huge name. Then we talked about the first Batman film, and he talks very candidly and openly about Tim Burton and about Michael Keaton, um, and it's amazing. And then we talked about Alien Three. And again, in great detail, he spoke of the 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 things he likes and the things he didn't like. Um, so, so he's incredibly open. So that's a great one next week. But but this week it was amazing to sit down with Neil. And yeah, we cover such a wide range of topics. So I hope you enjoy this one. Um, I'll be back at the end to give you a bit more information on what's to come. To tell you about the Hardcore Listing podcast, which is huge on the network, and they have a live podcast coming. They're recording it August tenth. Um, at the Hoxton Bar and Grill, so get there and enjoy that. But yeah, anyway, all that aside, this is episode 154 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Neil Fitzmaurice. Um, right, just quickly, I know the intro just ended, um, but I recorded this intro or that intro on uh, on Saturday morning. I recorded the podcast on the Thursday. Last Thursday, um, but I wanted to record a little addition to the intro. I didn't want to redo it because uh, that's not that's not the way. Um, I'm recording this on Sunday morning, and it's post the uh, terror attack on uh, on London um, on London Bridge and Borough Market, um, and uh, and yeah, you know, a matter of. 12, 12 uh, to 14 hours after that attack. Um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of make mention of it. It's uh, me and, and, and Neil in this podcast speak a lot of Manchester's amazing reaction in putting together. And um, I've seen a, a lot of the same all, already from London. Oh, 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 one tweet I saw this morning that, that uh, Moose Rock Wonga Musa Okwonga, that's Okwonga, A-O-K-W-O-N-G-A. Um, he reposted, there was a quote from the TV, of someone saying, London should not be cowed. And then a guy's response of, of mate, the chicken c- c- cottage by Borough Station is already open, stop worrying. I, I love Britain and I love... London and the resilience and the reaction to not allow these things to 
to just to break us down. Um, it's always a, a weird on social media at times. I like this, and I, I try not to <sighs> to jump in too much if, unless I've got something I feel I can add. Um, the general outpouring of sadness is kind of a given. Um, I did one tweet last night in relation to it, but I sent a lot of text messages and talked to a lot of dear friends. Um, the tweet I posted, um, I recommend you go and have a look at it. It was a link to a, uh, a video by the aforementioned Musa Okwonga, who's, um, I've mentioned on the podcast before and people often hear it wrong or can't understand what I'm saying, but his name is Musa, M-U-S-A, Okwonga, A, oh, sorry, O-K-W-O-N-G-A. Um, and I posted a link to his video, um, it's called Heavyweight, and it's also kind of subtitled on YouTube, A Love Letter to London, and that's summed up my feelings on London and on everything last night. Um, another thing, I got a lot of tweets um, uh, quoting a specific lyric of mine from a song called Cowboy, so um, I thought instead of the regular intro, we'll uh, we'll have a little s- s- section from that song to kick this podcast off. Um, big love to everyone in London and Britain. To anyone who's feeling scared or or, or or worried, please, please don't or try not to. You know we're we're a country that's 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 lived through far worse than these idiots, um, and we'll continue to to move on and, and and go on. I've been pleased. I've not seen. I don't know if it's the circles I'm mixing or again kind of avoiding social media a bit. But I've been pleased. I've not seen the kind of outpouring of fear or hate on any. Uh, a, a race or religion. It's definitely worth noting that um, anyone uh, carrying out an attack like this isn't isn't a true Muslim. Isn't you know is 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 against Islam, particularly doing so during a Ramadan. For God's sake, you, you're not these people. No matter what they claim do not represent the wonderful and strong and amazing and peaceful Muslim people. Um, They're they're some idiots. In the same way, they don't represent British people. You know, um, at this point, identities and backgrounds haven't been stated, but um, I I know from the recent terror attacks that these were generally been homegrown British people of have been led horrifically astray. So, um, in my opinion, they stop being British as soon as they carry out these acts and they stop being Muslim as soon as they, they carry out these acts. Um, yeah, that's kind of... I'm not articulating amazingly on this, but um, a lot of people are. So, uh, find those that give you strength and give you guidance. Anyway, let's go on with the podcast. See, that is London, and that is Britain. We might get scratched, and we might get bitten. But even when our heart and resolve is depleted, we won't lay down. No, we won't be defeated. Kid Carp. Cowboy, get back on your horse. Homeboy, get back on your horse.
recording. Yes. Um, we, I'm, I'm, I'm sat here with uh, Neil Fitzmaurice. How are you doing? I'm all right, Pip. I'm good, man. Good. Um, I recorded one of these the other day with Chris Fairbank. Yeah. And we had to be all vague about what we're doing. But since that one was recorded and before it's gone out, it's been announced. Oh, okay. I so, didn't know that. So yesterday they announced uh, Walk Like a Panther. Oh, excellent. And that's what we're working on. So, so, yes. so we can talk a bit. Yes. Obviously, we won't go into tons of detail, but we no. can say that we're... We've done a scene this morning, and now we've got some hours to kill. As is the case so in thought, this business, yeah. yeah. So we thought, let's have a little chat. So we've come to the top deck of the hot catering bus. Yeah. I don't know why I chose this, but I thought it was a bit quiet, and we've got a table. So yeah, it's nice. So we can interact. It's like if I close my eyes, we're on a train. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and killing t- a, a time on a train with yeah. casual conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. ideal, right? But, um, yeah, it's been great fun so far, hasn't it? It's been We're kind of t- teamed up in this, and that was lovely because... I'm uh, a fan of and aware of loads of your work over the years, and it's I've been I've been lucky in the two things because in this and in Taboo I had a fair bit that was improvised dialogue, mm. and in that one I was teamed up with S- S- Stevie Graham, mm. and in this one, uh, um, uh, me and Gus Carr are teamed up with you. Yeah, um, so it kind of felt we're in safe hands, and yeah, man, it it's was, been a lot of fun so far, has not it? Been great fun, Pip. It's been great fun, and. Uh, I always like a bit of ad lib. It's good fun, isn't it? Because you get yeah. to stretch your, you know, your capabilities a little bit, don't you? So. Yeah. And again, from the first scene, really, it felt we all our characters knew who they were instantly. So yeah. it's quite easy because we were actually, in fact, I've not mentioned this. I think it was you, me, and Gus were the first scene of the film, of the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. So we yeah. were. Crew were all new. Yeah. Everyone was new, yeah. and we had a right old laugh. Some of the about. crew were different then. <laughs> yeah, the crew have changed a little bit as, as time has gone on. But yeah, it's been it's been, been it's been nice to have that freedom. I think to yeah. mess about and ad lib yeah. and enjoy ourselves a bit. It's, yeah, it's a nerve nerve wracking for me at times because I'm newer to it. But yeah. we've not really had one that's 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 fallen on its ass. It's all been quite. No, it's good. It's, it's uh, unless they're just really patronising us and going, "Yeah, that was great, lads." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it has been good fun. I think. I think you've. You, I mean, you, you, you're a man who's not uh, who's known for being able to come up with a word or two. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Gus is a great athlete because he's a very, very naturally funny guy. Isn't he? It's wonderful. It's yeah. so hard for me. I have to concentrate on my ad lib because Gus is doing such a good like. Brummy accent, yeah, yeah, and that's one of my favourite go because I lived in the Midlands briefly. Yeah. It's so hard to keep my character as more kind of I'm doing more of a London accent. It's like yeah. it's so every now there's, there's been a couple of it's where I've ad libbed something and it's just been doing an impression of Gaza. Like, <laughs> stop it, try and focus, and uh, and yeah, we'll get on with it. I mean, I want to go back and talk about your upbringing and yeah. what drew you into comedy and stuff like that and into acting. But while we're here, I mean. It's been while we've been up here that we had had the Manchester um, attack, yeah. and I don't know. It just it, it came to mind because a, a couple of days after you and I were on set, and you were watching a video um, after the minutes silence, and I don't know. It, it choked me up, yeah, hugely. And it was it's a be- obviously it's horrendous to see things like this happen but then there's always that moment where it shows you the true beauty of, 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 of humanity and that, that one woman standing up and singing Don't Look Back in Anger it g- g- genuinely starting to choke me up now yeah. and, then, and then it's spreading yeah. round it's it was incredible because it was a moment of you know things like that aren't rehearsed and you can tell they're not rehearsed it's yeah. just someone wanting to say something it's yeah. someone just 
And to do, to have the bravery that she had, I mean, you know, I don't mean bravery as in, you know, she's a fine and you know, yeah, save her yeah, life. No, no, but to have that strength of character to just say, I'm going to say this whether people, yeah. you know, we live in a society where people generally aren't looked upon as being able to, to speak their mind, you completely, know. Completely. And for her to just, it was just a moment of, it was almost subconscious thought that, that, that left her mouth. And, yeah. And then people sort of were, you know, there was that feeling at the start of it as this could go really eggy because people yeah. were going, well, we're trying to do a minute silence here and you've been... Yeah. But it just sort of spread, didn't it? The yeah. emotional thing. And then people joined in and went, join in! And yeah. It was an incredible... It was incredibly moving and I, I think it's... Things like that off the back of disaster and yeah. off the back of tragedy and off the back of such horrendous kind of um, uh, loss of human life that it, it brings out... You know, you forget about all the crap and... Mm. It brings out all the nice and people. Yeah, just, completely. just and, for a moment. And it, it, I don't. I want it to seem like a, a, a cliche or stereotype, but it feels even more so with with the North. The instant reaction of pulling together and going, right, we're stronger than this, and we're going to get through this. Um, obviously, you're you're from Liverpool, and you've 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 had the Hillsborough disaster mm. in your in in your lifetime and in your in your life and. And it just, it, it always feels like a uh, an area and community that will just go, right, we need to, yeah. to pull together for everyone. And yeah, especially that. I mean, that's a massive part. I'm obviously, I'm a Hillsborough survivor, so yeah. that was a massive yeah. part of my life and something that affected me in many different ways. But I think one of the things that... Um, that came out of that that was so incredible was the was this was the was the unity and the pulling together of a yeah of a city and uh, a city generally but of course you know the, the more people died from outside Liverpool than in Liverpool yeah. in, in, yeah. Hillsborough, in Hillsborough. Oh wow, I didn't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the stats are the stats are all around the country. Yeah. Um, but it was that I think it was just that particular because it was the hub of it and because it was Liverpool Football Club. Yeah. It? And then because there was a huge cover-up, massive governmental yeah. and you know uh, judicial cover-up, that yeah. um, the people got together and fought it for over twenty years, and it was that yeah. constant. I mean, led by families, led by mums. I mean, that was yeah. the thing I was. But that persistence as well to keep fighting, and even that persistence to keep hating publications like the Sun yeah. and things like that. Yeah. That that continued. It's it feels like. I come from the south. I love the south, yeah. but it feels like there's a there's more of a fickleness in the yeah. south. I, yeah. I, I, I can't see that twenty years on the south would mm. still be going ah, mm. ah fuck the sun there, or not even or refusing to even yeah. say their name and all that. Yeah. It's like well, it's, I, th- I think it's I think people have to understand. I think that just the, see because you know people say, "Well, what's this thing about the sun?" And you, you have to understand that. I mean, from my point of view, I was going back down as a nineteen year old kid, deeply traumatized. Going yeah. back down to the ground to try and with a social worker to try yeah. and oh, wow. retrace my steps oh, uh, when that paper came out and it was passed around the coach yeah. of deeply traumatized people who, who who were lost, you know. Yeah. And reading stories that, that that publication put together that day, which was you know you've got to remember as well the Sun newspaper, the editors of the Sun newspaper, Margaret Thatcher, yeah. the head of the police, South Yorkshire Police Force, uh, and, a, and a, a Sheffield MP all met to discuss. The what terms of blame, wow. and what they said was they sat down and they made a conscious decision to blame Liverpool fans. So this wasn't a, this wasn't just a, a, a Sun reporter writing a story. Mm. That the, this was orchestrated. It was orchestrated to pass blame from the, the people who were in charge that day to the to the victims, yeah. uh, and not only saying that it was their fault that they were drunk, yeah. uh, that they were out of order. You know, they were, yeah. the, the police took. 
took blood samples of, of, of 12 year old dead bodies to, to try and see if they were drinking just... it went to a level of subhuman behaviour that, yeah. that, that, so, and, and it culminated in this publication that basically said right, not only was it their fault but here's what they did to stop the police you know, uh, yeah. pickpocketing yeah. dead bodies uh, urinating yeah. on dead bodies. Yeah, they said yeah, we were yeah. urinating on dead bodies. They said just we completely it was dehumanised. Dehumanised the victims, yeah, yeah. And, and made us, made us. So to the entire country, which was a massive publication, mm. we were the blame. And then you had the, you, of course, you had the hangover of Heysel in '85, which was yeah. which was the '39 uh, um, football fans died in the Juventus Liverpool yeah. uh, European match. So you had that. To which we're still called murderers in every football ground in the country to this day. Every, yeah. every shout that comes out of, uh, is murderers, you know. And, and, and you get the stigma of that added to 89. We were a perfect patsy yeah. for, for that disaster. So that's why, I think that's why, one of the reasons, definitely, why, why the city got together with that newspaper and said, never again will we, yeah. you know, the, I suppose it's easy to forget and say, oh, well, yeah. you know, that. Well, we don't do that there. You know, we're very much a, a socialist kind of... And again, it's, it's a paper that's got a great history of that, and that is by far the most extreme example. But I'm 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 a, a Millwall fan, so I've had years of seeing the Sun attacking Millwall. Yeah. And uh, one example was there was, and I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but it sticks with me as there was a, a big expose of a black journalist going and experiencing life as a black man at a Millwall game, um, and he did this big report saying he saw the Millwall fans doing. Nazi salutes and chanting "See Kyle." Yeah, and it, I, I read that and I was like, "That's disgusting." I've grown up in, at Millwall. I've seen some racism. I've also seen what the club has done to get rid of it. Yeah. I read that like, "Wow, that's unacceptable." Ashamed of my club. Um, I didn't g- g- go instantly on the defensive. It was then re- revealed, and they did a small, a, a rescinding article, mm. tiny little thing that he'd made a mistake. And the Sea Kyle chants weren't the Millwall fans, it was the Brighton fans wow. chanting Seagulls. Wow. And just pointing, as you do, at, at, at opposing fans, that was seen as the Nazi salute. It's like you've got the wrong fans, yeah. you've got the wrong words, you've got the wrong and gesture, also, yet yeah. that was a good little story, yeah. that. It's Millwall and they're horrible. Yeah. They're hooligans. That's it's a good story. We've got that there. And it's that whole thing, of, which has just recently happened with Kelvin McKenzie, but he's come out again. He was a man who never apologised for all the slander yeah. and the lies yeah. and, the, and the torment he caused the families and the victims. It made me feel worthless for 20-odd years of my yeah. life. Um, never apologised, and then comes out again, gets his job back at the sun, and then yeah. comes out and, and, and starts um, calling uh, Barclay, who plays for Everton, the car starts calling him a, 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 an ape and a monkey when he yeah. says Nigerian parentage. You know, it's, not, it's that thing of, it? it's a complete lack of any kind of journalistic skill mm-hmm. in research and in saying, let's actually look outside the box here and let's just see, you know, is there, is there a chance that he could have Nigeria? Mm-hmm. Is there a chance that the Liverpool fans didn't do that? No, they didn't. It was a concerted, orchestrated effort to switch blame. So. And it's, it's all the more scary now because the lack of journalistic standards is more scary in the days of social media because we already have to fight mm. the ignorance of us, mm. of the general public, of us tweeting stuff that we haven't researched, yeah. of retweeting stuff we haven't researched. So we should be able to turn to our professional journalists Absolutely. for that safety of, yeah. right, I can confirm this, but it's gone the other way. They yeah. now have to go, oh, what will get us a retweets and pushes on social yeah. media. Yeah. Oh, the standard has dropped even further. And yeah. Even less can be relied on in that. Yeah, and it and it go, and it just goes to show, really, because you can look at it and say, oh, you know, you, you 
you make it too much of a fuss about it, but actually, in its, in its purest form, it just goes to show the power that the media have to sway opinion, 100%. 100%. to sway opinion and thought patterns. Yeah. You know, you take that away from Hillsborough and you put it to something like, you know, the, the election of Donald Trump yeah. or the Brexit vote or yeah. other things. It just, it, it just goes to show the power of the media and what mm-hmm. it can do to manipulate people's opinions. Yeah, and it's such a, it's, 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 it seems to be such a transparent game as well. Oh, we've just had these, so we're recording this before um, the vote and the and, and the election, and we've just had the 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 polls out saying that it looks like the Tories aren't going to win. Now they said that about Trump, they said that about Brexit. That now seems like the most transparent thing to scare Tory voters out to go and get their numbers in the vote. That's so clear and obvious, and yeah. we've seen it twice. Yet I'm seeing people going, yeah. "Ah, look at that, they're going to lose." It's like, yeah. It's literally year after year yeah. at the moment with Brexit and then Trump. It was in, in a, a repetitive yeah. run of that exact thing of they're going to lose, therefore. Yeah. yeah, it's using the media to say, oh, you're comfortable. Oh, well, don't be. Yeah. But to say to the left, be comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. It's fine. It's like that's such a It's like a magician saying pick a card, any yeah. card, when they know which card yeah. you can pick. Yeah. They're manipulating that card. Exactly. The it's manipulation terrifying. goes on and on and on. And on. It, it is horrendous. And, and with the advent, it scares me how obvious it is. Yeah. It scares me that it's not even. Again, I think um, there was a Stuart a, a Lee bit where he talked about how um, the Tories. Um, it was, was, was talking about UKIP and the Tories, and he was saying, and the Tories who at least have the good manners to hide their ingrained racism. And again, it's exactly that. It's like it's things like this. They're not even hiding the manipulation no. anymore. They're going, yeah. Look yeah. how obvious yeah. this Are you is. Stupid? Yeah, we're gonna, yeah. You will be. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. I mean, there was a thing on, on Twitter today which reminded me of the Brexit vote, which was that famous shot of, I think it was Farage and Boris Johnson and so on, standing in front of this big red bus yeah. that said, uh, you know, the EU take £350 million pounds mm-hmm. a year, let's put it into the NHS. Mm. That's, that manipulated so many people to Huge vote for Brexit. And then they come out and went, oh no, we didn't mean that. Yeah. You, know, you were standing in front of a bus that literally said it on the yeah. side of a bus. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean you don't mean you didn't mean it? You can't. It wasn't overheard in a pub, yeah. casually. Mm-hmm. It was on a bus that that is photographed for life. But people saw that and immediately went, right, if I vote Brexit, there's three hundred and fifty million pounds going yeah. back into the NHS. So the reasons for doing it factor, yeah. massive influence factor, which turned out to be a totally manipulative lie. Yeah. Which just goes to show the opinion of, of, of the general public when it comes to, yeah. to things like and this. Completely I mean part of me also then looks at that and goes why did we all believe something written on the side of a bus when every election there's manifesto promises that aren't met? And that's written in your manifesto yeah, and yeah. you just throw that out the window. Exactly. So of course they're going to throw yeah. out the window something yeah. they've written on a bus rather than yeah. actually pledged and managed. So, yeah, it's craziness. But I, I don't know when this will be coming out. So this, this could all be redundant and we could be living in a, a dystopia of... Of horror and pain, but well, yeah, we could well be, wouldn't we? <laughs> it wouldn't be. Well, for what's happened, you know what? I, I will, I, I will make no bones about the fact that I'm, 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 I'm a socialist viewed, viewed mm-hmm. person, and and, and Labour a party that, for me, are going to do a lot more good in this country than, than than what we got in. Yeah, and I'm hoping that the madness of the of the of the 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 electorate's cave carries on going. Where yeah. there's no way Trump was getting in. You know, I remember going to bed. At, I was doing it. I was doing some work in Manchester. And I was staying in a hotel, and I was up early for filming. So I turned the TV off at about one o'clock in the morning when Brexit was was never going to happen. 
I, was I mean, same. so far ahead I was to, to remain. Yeah. Bop. And then woke up the next day and, and, and literally had to say to someone, you know, well, you wind me up. Yeah. So I'd, I'd legitimately, and this is Im- Im- embarrassing, I can't remember if it was on Brexit or on, on the Trump thing, on one of them, before going to bed, I'd written and saved my, my Facebook post for in the morning. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, it was on Trump actually because it was so clear that Hillary was going to win. And my post was saying, look, You've made the right choice of the two, but yeah. the fight isn't over. Because yeah. Hillary is still cr- crooked and dodgy. And yeah. it, was, it was meant to be a statement of that, of going, look, don't pat yourselves on the back yeah, too exactly. much. Because yeah. you've got rid of that devil, but yeah. there's another one who's not good. Yeah, absolutely. So let's keep an eye on yeah, that. It was, the, it was the lesser of two evils, that, if she got in, wasn't it? Yeah. And then I woke up and was like, oh. What are we living in? Oh, I really overestimated yeah. the, the I, choice. I blame, I blame Leicester City Football Club for starting some weird wormhole. Of, of, of what can't happen does happen can never happen <laughs> can never happen we all got sucked in and then uh, everything so I'm hoping that that theme continues and yeah. we end up with a, with a government that you know give us shit yeah that'd that. be nice that'd be a nice surprise yeah. uh, well I mean c- continuing on I guess as we've as we've touched on on on, on, on Liverpool yeah um, a, a little boy blue a recently yeah. was absolutely amazing yeah um, deserves all the plaudits it's getting. I remember talking to Stevie on Taboo when he just accepted that, and it was one of the most nervous roles for him to accept because yeah. of knowing how much it meant to him and to everyone. Yeah. And in my mind, what better person as your lead in the detective? Because Stevie, I remember on one of the days of Taboo, he came, he, he stayed at mine when we were filming, and there was a Liverpool match in the semi-finals of the UEFA Cup, and. There's no better way to watch a Liverpool match than with Stevie because yeah. he's the most scouse person yeah. I, in the world. Um, and was just that, like I was, I'm, I'm sitting there enjoying it. He's jumping does up and it, shaking does it me. Does it? Yeah, yeah, he's jumping up and shaking me, and it's all, all in amazing intense. But yeah, how was that to, uh, to work on your your speech? Um, I think in episode two, I think it was at the, at the, yeah, at the funeral, the funeral was yeah, yeah. unbelievably moving. And yeah. again, I think. The choice. It's interesting. There's a film I really I like called The Battle of Algiers, and yeah. it's about the Battle of Algiers. And it was filmed about five, six years after that actual battle, and a lot of the people in it were involved in that uprising. Um, and it felt like an amazing bit of casting because it's drawing, yeah. and it felt similar in this that they cast a lot of people who they knew have an emotional attachment mm-hmm. to this story. So, in a weird way, you. you you're not having to act too hard because mm. you know that emotion, you know how mm. you felt. So, so how was that to work on and, and to tell that st- st- story and do it justice, I guess? Well, firstly, I think you're right in the sense that, again, it's that thing. Uh, maybe it's a Liverpool thing, maybe it's a national thing, maybe it's just a thing that when it's in your city and you remember it and it's still yeah. quite raw, it was only 10 years and it was mm-hmm. such a... It was such a, 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 a strange thing to happen there because it was a 12 year old kid I guess yeah. in many ways there's the James Bulls here as well yeah, yeah. Um, you know and it, it stays with you and and um, I initially went for for a meeting to, to, to for the father right to play Stephen and um, yeah. and and spoke to the directors and stuff and then and then didn't hear anything and then my agent phoned and said look um, the Stephen thing has worked out because they're looking for lookalikes and I said yeah. like, I get that yeah. you should Completely. there's nothing worse than going through all this and having someone go well, he doesn't look anything like particularly when it's a Fresh story, a new story, there is familiarity. Yeah, yeah. and also that. so important to get right. So I was like, yeah, absolutely fine. Yeah. 
So they said, well, there's there's a, there's, there's the part of, of uh, isn't, funny enough, his name is Neil, the part mm. of the um, of the uncle. And I said, well, what is it? She said, well, it's not really, in it? So as an actor, you know, you go through years of doing parts and you get to a point where if a part's too small, you don't want to do it. Sure. Because, you Makes know, you're worth, it's that, you know, you're constantly in our profession being told that you're not good enough or you're mm-hmm. not right. So you get to a stage where if you get offered bits, you just think, well... Do that, it's, you know. it's, 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 it's protecting your value, yeah, as, as well. And, yeah. and we have that as, as, as touring artists. Yeah. You get to a certain point, and even if there's a gig you really want to do, if it's that much of a drop down, yeah, it's making it look like that's yeah, what you know. What I mean, it's protecting yes. you've done a lot. My argument was not me, but my agent has yeah. done a lot to get me up to this level, yeah. Therefore, out of respect to him is, as much as anything, I need to remain at this Absolutely. level. Absolutely. And yeah. I think it's something that, that comes from stand-up as well, because I'm a stand-up comic. And I yeah. Think yeah, you can course. do the same club for, 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 for six or seven years, and they won't yeah. put the money up. Yeah. Until yeah. you go, listen, you need to put this money up now. Yeah. Because yeah. I've been doing it for six years, and I've gone X, Y, and Z since then. Yeah. So it's all that. It's just a self-preservation thing. So Or, or, or you do an, another club as a favour, yeah. and they happen to let everyone know how much they paid you, and suddenly it's like, well... Yeah. I know you did that. Is like, mate, that was yeah, a one-off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's that. It's all a yeah. self-preservation, and it's making you just looking after yourself. So, uh, so she said, "Yeah, there's the part of," and I said, "Well, you know, it's not really much to do. It's three scenes, and there's only one yeah. scene of dialogue in." Yeah. Which usually I would say no to, to be honest with you. But she said, "Well, it's reading a poem," and it was just by some weird coincidence because I was prepping for the meeting to to go to see to play Stephen, yeah. the father. Uh, I put some things on, on YouTube and one of them was an ITV documentary. Well, it wasn't a documentary, it was a factual documentary, mm. obviously, that dealt with the whole Reese Jones thing uh, um, and, and spoke to Stephen and Melanie. And the start of it was Stephen reading the poem and it was right. so haunting. Right. Um, that when she said that, I, th- I felt, oh, that sort of hit me inside. And I thought, yeah. yeah, I've heard that. And, and my immediate thing was that I'd, I, want, I, I know I could get that right. Yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 and then it suddenly became a thing of like, listen, this piece, you know, some pieces you want to be a part of because you want to make sure that even in the tiniest roles, there's someone who can do a good job yeah, and then you, yeah. you, you know, you have good, strong foundation parts all the way around it. Yeah, that's, so, a, that, that's a, a great point to get to put your level of experience and your level of emotional attachment into what is yeah. essentially a small role, but... I mean, it's a crucial role because yeah. of that poem, because of that moment and that piece. And I suddenly felt a sense of responsibility to, to get that right and yeah. to get it right for them. Okay. And because it was then an offer, so it wasn't a case where I had to, um, where they had to go and you know, flog yeah. yourself to yeah, get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, and, 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 and for reasons that will become clearer as the story goes on, it was important that someone experienced did that role because when we got down to doing that scene, that was, there was 250 essays or extras in the cathedral where, yeah. the, where the funeral took place. And it was carrying the coffin down and stuff. And it was, of course, it wasn't, you know, it was a really difficult... My, my, my utmost respect goes out to Steve and Stephen Graham and yeah. to Sinead and to Breen O'Brien, who played Stephen, because that wasn't a fun job to be on, in the yeah. sense that it was... You know, you, you, you had to chat to people and you had the odd laugh, but it was such an intense set. Yeah, it had to be, right, It had day. to be, of course, every single day. So it was a really intense part to do, and then we got to the cathedral... But what struck me when I got to the cathedral was all the cameras were facing away from where I was going to be standing. Right. Which told me as an experienced actor that all the main shots they were going to be doing were going to be on the people reacting to what I was saying. Yeah. Not what I was saying. Yeah. Or not me saying it. Yeah. So that, that then, because I'm experienced, I knew that then I had to 
obviously give a performance for the reactions, but I yeah. had to keep a bit in the tank because there was, they were going to come on me last. Right, yeah. So, so it, you're going to have performed it numerous times numerous to get times. everything else, and then when, yeah, that's when a, it comes back point. to me, you need to still you need have, to have that, a bit in the yeah. tank. And these are things that, that only come in with experience. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, you know somebody not as experienced would have belted it out two or three times, and then when it gets to him. They've got no, and I don't use tear sticks. I don't, I don't use right. the kind of things. I try yeah. to, I try to, to bring it from from inside. So that's what I did. I did about, I mean, I literally did about six or seven passes. Yeah. Getting up from the carrying from carrying the coffin. Wow. Sitting down, then getting up and coming up and reading the speech. And I wanted to make sure I got it right for the reactions for the other people anyway. Yeah. So that, yeah. it's, it's important to me. And I did. I know I did. And, and even you know, Stephen. Stephen called to me and said, "Mate, you got me every single time." Yeah, and most amazing. of the most of the essays in the room who come over said that was. So I knew I'd got that right. And then what happened was they they turned the cameras around and everyone left. Oh, so wow. so, so the shot on me that. was then on my own. Oh man! With a camera about six foot in front of me, even the microphone that I'd been speaking through, which give it that gravitas yeah. in the cathedral. Sound man come over, as you know, sound department will yeah, come over and say, "Can you do us a favour?" Trying to breathe in his take because we can right. hear it, so I had to turn that off. So, so the shot Lord. that was on me to do it, yeah, was 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 a complete sort of lie because was trying, yeah, yeah. So, so that's when experienced actors need to be doing them roles yeah. because anyone who maybe would have wouldn't have been as experienced would have gone, oh, I'm gone a minute. Where is everyone? Yeah, you know. So. And there's that weird feeling of oh, we're kind of at the end of this this kind of not that you want to r- rush it, but yeah. that you are like well. It's all on me now. Yeah. It's a, I'm the last thing. Yeah. Kind of. Is that and, all right? Is and, this... and also, when you're playing a small role, you tend to get thought of as, as a small role. So, yeah. I, in the back of my mind, knew that they were going to, sh- they were going to, sh- most of my, most of that speech is going to be, yeah. yeah. One, I think it shot back to me once. Yeah. The rest of it was on the thing. But I knew that yeah. was going to happen. And yeah. it then became a case of, all right, well, you, you've got a job to do. Yeah. You um, need to make sure that it's. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm very, very proud of that little moment that, yeah. that was in there. Because, because, and I'm very proud of the piece. I mean, Steve and I, I pulled Stephen to one side after I watched the last episode and there was a wonderful moment at the end of Little Boy Blue where it's all on Stephen following them through the house mm. and there's the barbecue and, and, and it links then in a, in a circle because at the start of the piece he gets a phone call just as he's getting to his family's barbecue yeah, and he has to yeah, leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had that lovely moment when he's just been betrayed by the police force, yeah. passed over for promotion after doing a great job yeah. but all he ever did was looked after that family. Yeah. And then he comes back to his family and there's a wonderful moment where it's just on Stephen's face. And you can always tell the gravitas of an actor when they are telling you everything and saying nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it reminded me, and I told him it, and he was really, he was really um, touched by it, but it reminded me of one of the best moments of that for me growing up as a kid was watching The Long Good Friday with, uh, right. with Bob Hoskins. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. it's the scene at the end in the car when, as a viewer, watching the film, you know this man's fate. Yeah. You know, and he goes through this cycle of emotions without saying anything, and he yeah. goes through it's almost the stages of guilt, and then you denial, and then yeah, um, and it's done without any words. I love it, yeah. And that Stephen's reactions were as close as I've ever seen any actor Amazing. get to that, yeah. Because I watched him walk through his house, yeah, feeling angry and betrayed, upset at what he'd proud of what he'd yeah. done, and then get to his family, and and it was just, and then acceptance that he was no longer going to do that anymore. He was going to be a father yeah. and, and a husband and, and he did it without opening yeah. his mouth and I said to him on the set of this the next day I told him that and he was really touched by it I think. but mm. it was really powerful I love that I love that I love the thought of that in a script as well that they're saying this is the big close where we have to get everything across and I don't think there's any dialogue 
that can do that. No, it has to just be all on you. But there are a lot of actors and actresses who couldn't do that. Yeah, that's the yeah. thing. It yeah. takes it. It Amazing. takes a really, a really uh, special kind of talent yeah. to be able to convey that much. And Stephen's yeah. got it in, in bucketfuls, isn't he? Amazing. Yeah, hundred percent. So, uh, let's go all the way back to to growing up in. In Liverpool, is it? You were yeah, born in Anfield, born, right yeah. by the ground. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, born and bred in Anfield, Saint Domingo Vale, which is the initial name of Everton Football Club right. before they changed, and then Liverpool took Anfield. Everton gave Anfield to Liverpool right, right, and yeah, moved yeah, to yeah. another place. So I'm from Saint Domingo Vale, which is just you know, it's, I could I could see the stand, I could see the cop from my bedroom window. It is the old oh, kind wow. of classic story, you know. So yeah, you would have anyone in Liverpool grows up a football fan, but. I live in there. That must have been from day one. You yeah, were. yeah. Well, it's interesting because we are. I think it's only Notts County and Notts Forest. I think have the nearest football yeah. grounds. But Liverpool and Everton's football grounds are separated by a tiny park. So it's yeah. yeah. There, so there are lots of Evertonians. Yeah. In, 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 I've, I've always felt Millwall and Charlton are close, and Millwall and Palace, but it's yeah. nothing compared to that. There's literally, no, I mean, as you said, it's you can walk from yeah. Anfield to, to Goodison in, in about four minutes it's, yeah. it's, it's literally just around yeah. the park so so there are obviously you know scatter shots everywhere but I mean I guess it's just you grow into your family's thing as well don't you yeah. we, were, we were a family of Liverpool fans yeah, yeah. Um, I, say, I, I don't think you should be allowed to choose your it, football team yeah. you inherit it yeah. it's, it's, it's as simple as that You, I guess if your parents are, weren't into football then you get a, a little bit of choice but yeah. it should be Choosing via a map, yeah, and looking right. Yeah. That's, that's my team, then. Well, it's just, which, which is which is completely foreign now, pardon yeah. the pun, in football because because of FIFA and yeah, FIFA and FIFA seventeen and FIFA yeah. sixteen yeah, 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 and yeah, all yeah. these online games, kids. I mean, you you do get kids. You know, I see kids, and I mean, you, you, yeah. Well, they're all in Arsenal kits or Chelsea yeah. kits, or, yeah. or and I'm like, where are you, where are you from? And I right, I've got four boys, and and, and I, you know, I said to all my kids, look. You're not getting a Chelsea top. You're yeah. not getting it. Yeah. If you want a football kit, I'll buy you one. It's going to be red. Yeah. It's yeah. going to have a live bird on it. If not, wear something else. You know I what I mean? I remember my dad's um, discomfort when I was at the age of about, I guess, 10 or so. And I said, look, I've, I've been going Millwall since I was five. I was like, look, I'm thinking of supporting Liverpool because they were the team at that point yeah, at my yeah, age. Yeah. I was like, and he said, well, look, we're playing them at this season we're going like we're going up to Anfield for it he said go and decide there and I said look I'll support the winner thinking <laughs> yeah, easy yeah. job done it's Liverpool um, it was a draw wow. but Millwall scored first so my dad was like well it's Millwall then right I was like yep yeah. I guess so and it, it has been ever, ever yeah. since but again that's that's right that's yeah. how it should be so yeah, yeah. I think so I, I think I think it's I mean you know everyone's allowed to support anyone but just not yeah. in my house <laughs> yeah exactly so so what was uh, what kind of kid were you were, uh, was comedy always part of your life and were you influenced a lot by comedians or or, or sitcoms or anything else that, yeah I, mean, up? I think I'm the youngest of four lads right and I think I was probably influenced as the youngest is by his brothers, his yeah, brothers yeah, yeah, your brothers bring a lot of influence to you yeah. you, you know your siblings your older siblings my eldest brother, Peter, is a very, very funny lad, very, very dry, very, very... Um, whenever you try and say something uh, off the cuff, he'll always beat you. He'll always yeah. say something where you go, oh. And he grew up listening to the Goons tapes and yeah. Spike Milligan. And so I, I sort of grew up, I think, with a richer seam of, of comedy than what was going on at the time, yeah. which was, you know, uh, TV comedy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Although the Benny Hills of the world, I love, I love yeah. all that stuff. Um, but in that world of sort of sitcom 
Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the good life and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I was listening to, to the Spike Milligans and the Peter yeah. Cooks and, 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 and the Goons and the Monty Pythons. It's definitely the kind of underground and rebellious areas of comedy rather than just yeah, very clean and yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was, but, but of course, when, I mean, for instance, when, when we sat down to write Phoenix Nights, I think the one thing we all had in common was that our heroes, both in performance and also in scripts, were, you know, your porridge. Yeah. Your rising damp. Yeah, yeah. You know, Leonard Roster is one of my heroes. Yeah. For, for if you look at the, again talking about saying stuff without saying stuff, you look at the, because most, you know, most good comedy is based on failed humanity. It's yeah. based on failed humans. It's yeah. based on, it's based on failed relationships. You know, so that so yeah. that so that the the, the the only fools and horses is exactly the same structure as Steptoe and Son. Yeah, there's a bit more love in that one, but yeah. the, it's the old can't live with, can't live without. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and things like. Porridge and things like that, they definitely um, thrive on the lack of scenarios rather than the abundance yeah. of scenarios. It's yeah. not rammed with quote. Like the reason they, they're great is that they've given themselves a restriction. Here's where we are, here's what yeah. we've got. That's not going to mean that we can go off and do all these yeah. crazy, zany adventures. It yeah. means you're going to have to fall in love with the characters and their interactions yeah. and their moments and yeah. their small little looks. Yeah. They give each other and asides and stuff like that, rather than the grand thing of, well, a dog's going to get loose yeah. and then yeah. it's going to cause all yeah. this mayhem. It's yeah. like, right, no, you've not, you've not. And, got in, those. and in the similar way that Steptoe and Son very really left yeah. the yard and, yeah. and Rising Damp never left the house. Yeah. I mean, it, it is yeah. that feeling of, I mean, right, I mean, the follow-up to Porridge was going straight and that was yeah. him out and it didn't work. Yeah. It's, 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 it's too much freedom. It's it didn't too much to play yeah. with. Yeah. So they were my influences. I think I, I, growing up, probably not knowing it at the time, but growing yeah. up, I think. I had, I think, I had a, an acuter sense of comedy, and yeah. and and, a, and a, I'd like to say a nice, a more refined sense, because, yeah. but and more anarchic as well, more yeah. sort of you know thinking off the cuff and yeah. So, so what was your route into comedy itself? Did you come first into stand up, or was it in writing and, and acting? And because the first thing that I became aware of you on was with Peter K show, yeah, and, yeah. And, and 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 then um, at Phoenix Nights, yeah, obviously. Yeah. So. Were you already a stand-up at that point and doing and doing the club scenes? Yeah, I was, but everything I've ever done has been an offshoot of, of wanting to act. I mean, right. I, acting is the passion of it, the, the, the main Fantastic. passion that it has. Yeah. I mean, I can remember being in school and doing a drama lesson, and yeah. we had a teacher called Mr Milne, and he said, right, it was English, essentially, but he said, we're going to do drama within this English lesson. And and, um, and I remember do, doing play, doing, like, you know, thinking up a play and putting it on, and I remember yeah. just coming out of it going, this is what I want to do. Yeah. It, it was that. It Did you get anyone t- tell you you were good in that st- that situation? Because a, a repeating theme I found on the podcast, I had it with Chris, I, I had it with Riz Ahmed and numerous others, is at some point as a youngster, they've done acting, they've been acting, and someone, a grown-up, has said, you're really good at that. Yeah. And that small thing, because you realise, particularly with Chris, 50s, 60s, but even 70s and 80s, Britain, I wasn't a place of abundance of praise for children. No. So that moment of you're good at that is like, yeah. oh, yeah. I want number one, I want to do it more. But number two, I want to hear that more. Yeah, I absolutely. want to be told by a grown up that I'm good at something more. Yeah. So was that a similar thing? Yeah, absolutely. And it was also when I started doing drama in school. I mean, you know, I knew what I wanted to be, but yeah. no one else in my family did. So there was none of that, right? None of that encouragement from that side. Of yeah, things. yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was me teaching Mr. Milner who said, because yeah. I was taking the book home every week and writing everything. I was just going, I'll do it, I'll do it, because nobody else really wanted to do it. Yeah. 
and he was the first person to say, you know, you've got a real knack for this. You've got, yeah. a, you, you know, you've got a maturity to what you're doing, and also you want to write as well. So it was an interesting. It was probably the first indication of a writing yeah. path as well. Yeah. So I, uh, I did it in school first of all, and then I always remember so because I used to sort of traverse the line between being artistic and being a scally as well because I had my gang of mates and yeah, yeah, playing yeah, footy yeah. and hanging about and shops and stuff. And I think those two things can come hand in hand a lot of ways as well because it feels like anything in the arts is in some way avoidance of of, of being maths or you know working yeah. in an office. It's kind of going, what can I do that means I'm not going to work in the yeah. office? What can I do that means I'm still going to be able to wear jeans yeah. and a t-shirt yeah. to, to, to work? So I think there's always that fine line of finding the dedication for it as well as just yeah. finding the passion yeah. for it. Well, I remember, I remember sort of, so I, so I do this, I was doing this night, night school course mm-hmm. in, in, in Liverpool, uh, by, by where I live in Stanley Park, and, 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 and then one day a week, and then one night a week, and then the rest of the night just hanging around with mates and being places we shouldn't be and doing things we shouldn't do. Yeah. And I always remember this particular, it was a Wednesday night or something, we were, we were in the hall of this school doing these, the teacher had us doing walks, like old man walks, and studying the way people yeah. walked and stuff. And we were all doing this in the line. And then I heard a bang on the window, and I turned out it was only mates who found me, caught me. Oh, wow. And they had the ball in one arm, and they were like, Fitzy, what are you doing? Come on. You know, yeah. they're all laughing and stuff. And it was a real kind of, um, it was a real moment for me of going, okay, you either stay here, yeah, or you leave the class and you, you, go and play football with your mates yeah. and then just yeah. say, oh, you were pissing about, whatever. And the teacher saw the moment, like a bit of an epiphany, and she saw it and she said, it's up to you, you know. Yeah. I think you've you're got really good. Make, yeah, I yeah. think you've got something special you can do. And, or you can go and it's fine. And I stayed and I just went, nah, fuck, you know. And, and a few of these lads, a few of those lads ever since. In fact, most of the lads I went to school would have knocked about would have all gone, maybe we're proud of what you've done. Yeah. Which is lovely. It's a lovely affirmation. I, I, I love that. For years, I really enjoyed there's a spoken word artist called Polar Bear who's yeah. a brummy he's a really talented lad he's hilarious um, and he always I used to say for a lot of his sets he'd think what if my mates walked in now so he'd never try and bring himself to the level of this I like there was an open mic at RADA and we were very much the working class ones we were out of place but we were always well we're not going to try and be that so his, his yeah. thinking was always that and I had him on the podcast recently and I asked him about that because I always thought that was an interesting outlook. And he was saying he'd changed it because he realised, well, n- no, he now feels, number one, his mates would think, well, it's Stevie doing it. Yeah. Therefore, it's, I mean, regardless of what we would think, yeah. therefore it's that. And, and number two, he'd want to sh- sh- show them why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. So rather than holding himself back yeah. to, to what would my mates think, it's yeah. kind of going now more the route, the, the, the tr- a choice that you made in that yeah. moment of going, Fuck them! I'll yeah, take a few yeah, digs. Yeah. I'll take a, a, a bit of mockery. I'll yeah. take a bit of a laugh because I believe in this. And that's the, they're the moments I think that I mean. And the sad thing is the moments that, that can sometimes swamp people up. Yeah, people yeah. can people can go and play football instead yeah. of staying in the yeah. lesson. That's the sad thing of it. But we we don't know. I just I don't know what it is. I think if I have any talent at all, my biggest talent is that I have the ability to to go the other way. To yeah. go fuck you, I'm gonna. Yeah. Uh, and, and and certainly my acting career it's always been I've, I've, I've always felt like I've been trying to prove people wrong and, yeah it's, um, it's, it's a massively important thing it's weird I, was, I got a text off my mate last night just because he'd seen the announcement of the film and I, I don't talk about any, any work stuff really because I do a lot of different things it's like I don't want to be I'm doing this now and I got a lovely 
a, a text off a mate, and he said almost exactly that. He said, the thing that I like the most is that you, you're happy to just go, no, I want to do this. Yeah. Like, fuck everyone else. This is what I want to do. Yeah. This is what, and it might work, it might not work, but you're kind of happy to do that. And I was kind of, I went back to him, I was like, that's the nice description of it. The not nice description of it is stubbornness and, yeah. and, and, yeah. and things like that that yeah. I'm like, well, no, I'm doing it. Yeah. Forget it. I'm doing it. It's yeah. like, but again, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, a massive, it's a positive trait. I think it's a massive thing to have, especially in the acting profession. It's such a hard profession. Yeah. And I, you know, I had from time to time, yeah, you get actors. I remember doing a, a, a TV show. There was a long run TV show and I just come in to do these three, three like feature length episodes. Yeah. And this kid had just left drama school and, uh, gone straight into it. He'd been in it for three or four years. Yeah, you know, a regular. Yeah, and then and then found out that he was he was getting written out. A lot of them were new producers come in and you yeah. know you you know get you know suddenly there's a car bomb or a and all that after after the, the, the you know the thing is gone. So he said, I, I, I'm oh no, you know, being written out. And I said, well, don't worry about it, mate. And he went, no, nah, I think I'm getting out of this business. And I went, why? He said, well, because you know I've been written out. And I went, good, get out of your way. Yeah, good. Yeah. I said, I'm, I'm just good. Do it because you know what. Less people with that attitude in my yeah. profession is better, the better, or the there more, was, the better. Yeah, there was a young lady um, who played Br- Brighton in Taboo with us, um, and she had found out that she was being killed off. And a few people would, would find out about being killed off and reacting in different ways. And her reaction was beautiful because she just went, I want to make this as good a death as I can I yeah. want to make this as good a, for the scene and for yeah. myself yeah. And, and we discussed I was like well yeah uh, if, if your intention is to be in acting for the, the long haul then two three seasons in a show is still only going to be a few seconds on your show reel yeah. if there's a good death scene in there yeah. That's probably the few seconds that are going to make it onto absolutely. your show, well, rather than this absolutely. two, three seasons in yeah. the background. Yeah. Was like, absolutely, well, that's a great outlook. I mean, this, this is the acting profession. I, I, it's the best job in the world. I love yeah. it. When you're working, when you're yeah, not, yeah, it's yeah. really, really difficult. And yeah. I think, I think there are elements that make up a good professional actor, and they are your ability to be able to cope with work. Mm-hmm. By that, I mean not turn to an arsehole. Yeah, you know. And your ability to be able to cope with not being in yeah. work. And I think yeah. if you can master those two, if you can keep on the floor when everything's going your way, yeah. and not lose yourself and not be a tit. Yeah. But on the other side of the coin, you can you can really be strong for yourself when people are saying no continuously, no, no, no continuously. No. Do you think but being a writer helps you on that? On that, to give you something to do in yeah. that time, to give you like, right, the roles aren't aren't coming in, I'm gonna make I've made mine. I've, I've, I've part. I, I wrote a pilot recently, and part of that was I was having an amazing time in auditions. But then I thought, hang on, I'm resting on my laurels a bit. Mm. I'm going. Mm. Oh, I'm getting up for some good mm. roles. This is this is it's all sorted. Yeah. But then I went, well, no, I've never had that attitude. The rest of my career, yeah. while I'm going in for the, these auditions, I can try and create the roles I want that I'm not going up for. Yeah, I write them. I write them myself and, and create this yeah. myself. And yes. Yeah. Even if it never comes to an event, I think that's a great thing to keep your mind a t- a t- a ticking over and to keep you creative and busy. And I think you'll know this more than most, but I've, some of the happiest moods I've ever been in have been after yeah. a day's writing. Maybe, yeah. Because you feel that sense of... Because you're constantly putting barriers up and then knocking them down and yeah. walls up and knocking through them. And, and, and if you can do a... If you, uh, you know, my missus will say to me, oh, you're in such a great mood. I go, no, because I, I found a way of getting through this... Mate. I can I can relate instantly. You know. I, I won't go into detail on the podcast, but we've discussed. Uh, last Friday, 
I had a less than ideal end to my day yeah. um, up here. There was a few problems. Yeah. It went wrong and I had a four-hour drive home and three hours of that I was in a rotten mood. And then in the last hour I had an idea for episode six of a thing that I'm yeah. writing and by the time I got home I was buzzing. Because I, I had this yeah. idea and I was like, right, I've not written episode four, yeah. I've not written <laughs> episode yeah. three, but had this idea for episode six and on the in that last hour I planned out 70, 80% of yeah. the whole thing. And I was it's like, amazing, isn't it? wow. This is that that buzz yeah. and excitement of I've yeah. got this, I've got this in my head. I'm talking yeah. it out in the car as I'm yeah. going. I'm 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 skipping through my songs and selecting songs to go and see. It's amazing. I'm isn't it? and that. It's, it's an amazing feeling. It's a feeling I don't get about acting. It's a feeling that I mean, yeah. obviously, if I do a good day's work and acting, yeah. then they go, yeah, I'm buzzing over that. Yeah. But there's something about the creation of things, and yeah. I did it recently with my son. My my youngest son was that the whole class was asked to write a story and. I thought you were going to say the literal creation of things then. I created a song. Amazing. The sense of achievement. My son's just a story. Like. Um, and, and I ended up writing it with him and it was such a connection. It was oh, such wow. an incredible connection. And Because, you know, kids these days have got their heads in iPads. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. And for him, I could see him. Yeah. I could see him literally shaking cobwebs off because his brain was going... Yeah. And I was saying, what about if this happened? And he was going, oh, and what about... And I just thought, wow, man, how incredible... Sounds really cliche, but no, that's I think everyone should be. It should be. We should be na- nationally conscripted, not to go join the army, yeah. but to write something. To yeah. Everyone, you know, and I think it's it's all locked inside us, isn't it? And some people, yeah. some people think they're worthless, and some people think yeah. that they have no. It's it's, it's 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 having people who can get that, that out of everyone. Yeah. And yeah. As I've spoken about it numerous times, but again, that same guy, Polar Bear, he does a lot of stuff in schools, and I've been asked to do stuff in schools before, but. I think it's an underrated art. Like it's a skill yeah, that you have really to is. learn, yeah. and I don't have that. But and I remember uh, uh, talking to Polar Bear one day, and he was saying about I shouldn't mention it so, so much because he's giving away his tricks. But I, I mean, he was saying how, how he'd been in this school, and he went in and he asked them all oh, what they did at the weekend. And he was there for creative writing and poetry. So yeah. he was like oh, a storytelling. He's like, "What did you do at the weekend?" And they, a few of them said, and he went, "Right now, everyone, grab a pen." And write a lie about what you did at the weekend. Because that simple thing, a lie is exciting, and lying is exciting. So it's instantly that, oh. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not write a story, it's like write a lie about what yeah, you did. So yeah. it's like, yeah. I did this. And really again, it just instantly had yeah. everyone excited. It's yeah. those simple things yeah. to get that, that, to start that fire off. And it yeah. might not burn f- forever, but it's giving it that option yeah. and that chance to. Yeah. Just, well, it's even that, you know, the, Chris Evans does that 500 words thing for Radio 2, and some of the entries that get to the final are extraordinary. Yeah, and then you yeah. go, what, there were eight? Yeah. yeah are you yeah, serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think that's inside them? Yeah. And it's just about getting out. So I love that. I mean, I love the, I love the, um, it's always been a, a, a bit of a crutch to fall back on because, as I said, everything's been an offshoot. Everything I've done has been an offshoot of acting mm. and the ability to not be able to act. So stand up came about because my brother had a, my brother had a, 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 my brother's had a pub in Liverpool, yeah. like a wine bar. And you know, I, I I made a conscious decision when I was a kid. I didn't want to go to London. I didn't want to train. Yeah. In London, I would have trained in Liverpool, but I'm such I'm from such a close family. Yeah. I simply didn't want to leave my family. I yeah, didn't want yeah, to leave yeah, my yeah. mum and dad, and I didn't want to leave my brothers. Yeah. Uh, and my friends. So I didn't. You know, I I think a lot of people who go away to to, to drama school and stuff, I think they, there's an edge to go and get away, or there's an edge to find yeah. themselves. Or the, I never had that edge. Yeah. And then with that age, the more the more the more I was getting into my acting, the more I was. I've always seen the visuals of things. I've always been able to look at something and go, "This would be a really good scene if this happened then." And 
don't yeah. know why. It's, I, I just see things in, in scenes sometimes. Yeah. And, yeah. and then it became apparent to me that I wanted to write a film in Liverpool. Liverpool's one of... I think outside London, it's the most filmed cap- yeah. uh, city in, oh, the, really? in Europe. Yeah, yeah it's... Wow. A, it's extraordinary the buildings it's got the most grade two list of buildings outside right. of London in yeah, the country yeah, yeah, yeah. and it has an incredible span of architecture and different different depths of architecture yeah, yeah. so you know a lot of stuff set in New York is done on the Dock Road because they have those zigzag fire, right. fire escapes yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. so I always used to walk around the streets of the pool going this would be a great place to do so that kind of that took me away from uh, wanting, to, wanting to go to drama school and but in the meantime, then I was—I had no chance as an actor. I had no yeah. agents. I had no—you know—I'm from Liverpool. I stayed in Liverpool. I wasn't in yeah. London. I wasn't where everything was happening. Yeah. So it was a real struggle. And for 10, 11 years, I didn't do anything. It was right. really, really difficult. I did—I um, got a little bit in, in Brookside when it was about. I was going to say, if you—if you're from the south, the route is Eastenders, the yeah. Bill, casually. If you're from the north. Coronation Street yeah. at that time, Brookside, still the bill. Yeah, you know that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so that's that's an international one yeah, there. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it seems to be that's kind of the route in. But I don't know. Oh, oh, and Emmerdale as well, I guess. But again, I kind of I love that that's that we've that that is kind of a set. Yeah. Like you'll be stunned at how many actors I have on that you go back and it's like, all right, there's EastEnders or the Bill or Casualty well, or. I, I, and wonderfully as well, camera operators and writers, yeah, and, yeah. and you know Jimmy McGovern, one of our best yeah. writers, was a Brookside writer. And I guess again, it's logical because the logic is it's on constantly. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to need a constant run of actors Absolutely. and and cast and crew essentially because yeah. it's like well, it's it's never ending. It's no. been going for so long. It's not like a series where well we'll shoot our eight episodes. And then we wrap for yeah. a year. It's like, no, this is, we it's need comes, people You need now. a revolving door of stuff yeah. going on. <laughs> so so I, makes sense. But I didn't work for a long, long time. And, I was, uh, and, then, and then I was, my brother said to me, you, you're, you're a funny lad, why don't you do some stand-up? And I went, well, you know what? And he went, and I think I was drunk this night. And I went, yeah, yeah, I'll do it here. I'll do it in the bar. And he went, yeah, we can do it in the wine bar. Like next Thursday or whatever, you know. And I went, yeah! Let's do it. And then sobered up. And then, <laughs> and then he said to me a couple of days later, you know you're doing this thing on Thursday. And I went, doing what? He went, are you doing this comedy night? And I went, no, no. It might have been a couple of Thursdays yeah. away. And he went, you are, because I've had posters printed. And I've paid for them. Amazing. So, so it was literally a case where I got me a mate, and I went, do you want to do it with me? And he went, yeah, we'll have a go. And it was, I can remember we filmed the first couple I did, and my body language was incredible. I had the mic in one hand, and I was scratching me back. <laughs> Talking, it was so uncomfortable to just watch. Trying to look casual. Trying to look casual. Yeah. Of looking of yeah. casual. Just awful. But I mean, I've said, and I've said, you know, in the past that regardless of my acting background, regardless of what I, because I've done a lot of theatre and stuff by then. My first stand-up gig was like a horror that I'd never. It was a terror that I'd never experienced before. Yeah. You may have done it with your first spoken word, but yeah, yeah. because it was all mine, because it was. It's, it's, it's you. you laying yourself bare. You're yeah. hiding behind a character that Shakespeare wrote. You're hiding yeah. behind. And I can remember my heart beating. I could feel the. You could see the pulse in my neck. It was that. Yeah. You know, uh, and <laughs> I, 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 so I'd been, I'd been, you know, pissballing about a bit with in the in this in the wine bar. But then I entered the competition in, in the Everyman Theatre, which was a stand competition. Started doing a bit more, and uh, that was when the real terror started because that was a big audience of people yeah. expecting something funny. You know what I mean? Um, and then it just went from there. Really, I mean, I think stand up's all about experience, like everything else, yeah. I suppose. But you know, that was back. You in need the, to get those hours in. That was in the mid-90s, that, yeah. And I left school in the 80s when, when Liverpool was, was 
I mean, it was a wreck of a city. Yeah. You know, Thatcher, Thatcherism. Yeah, and of course. I just destroyed it. It was most of my mates, a lot of my mates all went in the same class as me, were all heroin addicts by yeah. then. Oh, wow. Um, it, that, was, that was sort of the biggest option you had, leaving, yeah. leaving the school in Anfield. I was in Anfield Comprehensive, which is 1,200 lads. You know, we had teachers raped, we had teachers attacked. It was oh, just a really, really rough place to, to grow up. It's a hell of a... A, a city Liverpool and it seems to be on a constant turnover and constant m- movement like from touring even in the last uh, 10 years it's the city that I'll seem to each time I return either new places have opened mm. or new places have boarded up mm. it seems to be such a weird constant cycle it's, it's never flux yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a strange one because I say I can remember the 80s Liverpool which, is, which wasn't a nice place at yeah, all it yeah. was, there was nothing but and, and, and Liverpool, you've got to remember Liverpool from the Second World War was one of the most important cities, and, yeah. be, and be before that was one of the most important ports, I mean, you know, for, unfortunately one of, the, one, of the, one of the contributors to the slave trade, but a right. lot of its wealth was, 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 was a, lot of right. its, a lot of its grandeur, a lot of its buildings, a lot of its architecture was based on the back of slaves, unfortunately. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but then the city was an important city, a big port, and then it just, Manchester took over and realised that Shipping wasn't the way it was going to go. It was going to go through the canals and the cotton industry, and then yeah. took over. And it was, and Liverpool was really beaten, and it was on its knees for a long, long time. And yeah. No, I mean, I would say as well, up until the two thousands, the capital of culture, getting the capital of culture, changed yeah. the landscape of Liverpool yeah. forever. Completely, yeah. Uh, it was. It, it meant that development had to come into it. It meant that yeah. people had to stop bullshitting and doing something about it and making it look and a, nicer. And a hell of a development as well. Like Incredible. some of the work that's been done in the last. 10 years or 20 years it's just amazing incredible it's beautiful and it's brought and, and, and I had a lovely statement a, a good few years ago now that I've nicked and openly nicked and told yeah. the guy yeah, I nicked it <laughs> and he said Liverpool's got its swagger back yeah, yeah. and, and it, Liverpool is a swagger in place it is a place that was cocksure of itself yeah. for a long time but yeah. then it didn't then it got defensive and insular and you know yeah. almost we wanted our own passports you know what I mean yeah, because yeah, we weren't yeah. part of and, it, and it's starting to flourish again, and it's, and it's a great city. It's, it's a much maligned city, and it's a great city. Do you think any of that was down to the, the, the push scouse stereotype? Like yeah. It became a big thing with, with Harry Enfield and that Huge. kind of thing. As, as simple as that sounds, it became a laughable thing. Huge. The scouse would, scousers were this... The, were their, again, dehumanised, as we've yeah. said uh, before in more serious situations, but... There was a dehumanisation of, 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 of Scousers because they became a stereotype and yeah. they became a thing rather than a people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's going to make pro- you lose a lot of your identity and a lot of your... And it was the programmes that did it. I mean, if you look at, if you look at Boys in the Black stuff by Alan Bleasdale, that yeah. is an incredibly moving and powerful portrayal of a city that was, that was on its knees. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he tells it in such an incredible way and it tells yeah. about the fight that people had to, to survive, to eat, to, to find yeah. the money yeah. to eat and... Um, and there's a great scene in one of the Boys to Black stuff when Michael Angelis and Julie Walters are, you forget the cast they were in as well yeah, yeah. they've got no money at all they're skint and he finds money down the side of the couch he rips the couch to pieces and he's yeah. finds like four quid and they're fucking out jumping up and down because they can go and get some chips and the, yeah. that was how it was, it was for a lot of people yeah. it was real and then you put that alongside Bread by Carla Lane yeah, yeah. that just absolutely demonised and, and destroyed any credibility that our city had yeah. by making us a load of scrounging dolites yeah. who were only interested in making money on the sly 
yeah. I'm only interested in making money with an angle. Yeah. And only and everything was that ah, that and it just put this horrible sinister. Yeah. And it was so badly put together. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because it feels like it was someone trying to paint these charming scallies, lovable rogues, but someone not knowing the the reality of it all. So it becomes, again... Yeah, she was from Liverpool, apparently, Carla Lane. And, and, you know, she did the Live of Birds and stuff, um, which was very sitcom-y kind of, you know. But when it got to that, but you can watch episodes of Bread in the Middle, it makes you want to put your fist through a window as a Liverpool person because you go... You've got, you got the grandfather, and also as well, a lot of us got it down to BBC casting, right. which was just atrocious. There was like two Scouse accents in the entire family, and everyone yeah. else was like talking like this. They had a granddad up the road going, where's my tea? It was just yeah. this weird yeah. amalgam of crap that was put together. And, and <laughs> I always remember a great story, Jean Bolt, who played the Mar, Mar and, you know, in yeah. Bread. She was, I think she was married to Carl Davis, famous right. composer, and he was at the Liverpool Philharmonic at the time, yeah. and she... She got out, She got off a train at Lime Street Station and jumped in the cab and went such and such a place. And the cab driver was driving the road and looked in his, his rearview mirror and said, are you that woman out of bread? And she said, yes, I am. And he pulled up and said, get out. <laughs> and, well, I don't want to... And I, 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 I'm not taking what? it. Yeah. He was like, I'm not taking it. And that was the thought. That was, you know, that was... It was horrible. Yeah. Just turn on the TV and, and have this terrible betrayal of who you were. Yeah. And, and, of course, the rest of the country go, well, they are like that, you know. It's, yeah, they are terribly yeah. northern. And, you know, yeah, you, you forget the damage that something like that does. So I, I think, think that, again, particularly at a time where, the, 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 as silly as it sounds, still then the world was that bit smaller. People, yeah. it sounds stupid, but people didn't leave their own town no. and village as much. So that was, and what, it was that, that was all a lot of people yeah. would get of, yeah. of Liverpool. Oh, I know that now. Yeah, exactly, that's those, it. I know yeah. what they are. Yeah, yeah. exactly so, what right. that's like. Like now, I think we are in a world where far more people. I don't know if it's just because of touring and I'm mixed with that kind of. But it feels like everyone is far more well travelled, at least in the yeah. UK. Yeah, I think it is, know? and I think there's much more of a culture now of let's go away for the weekend. And yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's fantastic yeah. because people aren't as insular. People aren't as like, well, I'm, I'll stay here. If, I yeah. I'm yeah. stay here when I'm safe. Yeah. No, it's not. The people are moving around, and there's much yeah. more of a multicultural thing going on. And that's I think that's, that is a fantastic thing, you know. So, so how did? Um, the, the connection with Peter Kay come about because I think that was really the the the, the kickoff point for, for everything at first yeah. with the Peter Kay show but then um, far more magnified and even more so with Phoenix Knights just yeah. blowing up and being yeah. the the perfect thing at that time from Peter Kay I think it, it, he'd blown up and people were excited about him, but no one really knew what I think there was a lot of faith in him, but no one knew what he was going to yeah. come up with or yeah. come out with, and it seemed to well, just what, land. What happened was I started getting stronger and stronger doing stand up, and I was doing more gigs and stuff, and then and then I thought because I only really wanted to get into stand up to be an actor to get away from right, it. Right, right. Yeah. It was a segue. It was a, it was a, it was a contrived conscious yeah, decision to go because I remember turning the TV on once, and it was Hugh Laurie and Emma Thompson, and all these people were doing comedy sitcoms yeah. or, or, or sketch shows, and I thought, well, they're all actors. Yeah. So I thought I can do this. So what I did was I made a conscious decision to enter all the national competitions I could right. in one go. Wow. So I thought, I'm going to try and get some profile. I'm going to try. So I entered So You Think You're Funny, and I entered uh, the BBC New Comedy Awards, and I entered uh, the Liverpool Stand-Up wow. uh, of the Year Award, yeah. and I entered City Life, which is the big Manchester one that, that uh, Callan Hearn had won, and John right. Vegas, and Peter yeah, had won yeah, it yeah, previously. Yeah. Uh, and, and, so I just went for them all. And um, the, the BBC one... Um, Culminated in, in a semi final in the Frog and Bucket in Manchester, which was a oh. club that I'd been playing. Yeah. Um, 
only sort of open spots and stuff. Yeah. I haven't really been doing that much because I only started. And Arthur Smith came down to do the semi-finals, and the finalists then went to Edinburgh for the for the televised right. final. Right. And that was my first meeting with Peter Kay. I, I, it was the, the Frog and Bucket was was this. It was always a great venue to play, and they had a balcony, and people were hanging over the balcony. Yeah. The atmosphere was incredible. And I. Um, I had I had my wife down uh, and and two, a couple of friends and and, and um, I don't know whether Peter gone on then I think he was on after me but I went on and I ripped it yeah you know the planets aligned I don't know yeah. and I ripped it there was a guy on before me who was an American and he had this really great accent he was doing everything like this and I thought everyone was really really loved his accent yeah. so I come flying on I went hey everybody how are you doing my name's Neil and I'm from uh, well fuck it I'm from Liverpool and it just went Whoa. Yeah, because they sort of got the idea that I was jumping yeah. on the back of it yeah. and I just had a really good gig and, and Peter Kay always says that I walked past him and he went that was brilliant and I completely fucking ignored him oh really but it was because <laughs> I was so you know if you do a good gig and you rip it the adrenaline's coursing yeah. through your yeah, body yeah of course so he got so basically what happened was particularly in the pressure of a situation like that because that was a Liverpool lad coming to Manchester yeah, for yeah, a semi-final yeah. it's, it's always a, been that it's rivalry it's a competition yeah. you've got that slight comfort of it being a familiar venue yeah. so that, yeah. that probably allowed you to at least step on that stage yeah. a little more comfortable but then to kill it under that under yeah. that pressure is yeah. yeah yeah it was it was brilliant and then so the upshot of it was that I me and Peter jointly won it because Peter destroyed it as well. Now, little oh, did wow. I know, I'd never met Peter K before, I didn't yeah. know, but this was like his eighth gig and he was ripping rooms apart. It yeah. was ridiculous, you yeah. know. He was clearly set for, destined for glory and destined yeah. for yeah. incredible fame because he was, well, certainly in his stand up. Yeah. We didn't know what was going to come, but the stand up was, he was incredible. He had this incredible ability to just say what he wanted to say. It was the thing that Rich, I used to talk, yeah. I, I toured once at Rich Hall, yeah. did a few tours. At, Few gigs at Rich Hall, and Rich Hall's an amazing comic. Said to yeah. me, "The one best bit of advice I've ever heard in stand-up was to be a good stand-up comic. You have to make the audience believe that you don't give a shit whether they laugh at you or not." Yeah, yeah. And once you've once you've conquered your nerves and you come on stage and you say if you say a gag that doesn't work, yeah, well then make a joke out of the fact that that gag didn't work. Yeah. Don't because an audience can smell fear. The absolute comfort, and it's a it's a weird comparison, but I've always a bit. A, I've been a fan of the rapper Lil Wayne, and people are often shocked because my 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 hip hop and that is a, li- a little bit more cerebral or whatever. But he's always just blown me away because I've never heard someone sound so comfortable on the yeah, mic. Yeah, and um, um, and Peter Kay's a similar one. It feels like you could be in the room, you could not. He's just going through his stuff, having a little chat, Incredible. so relaxed and so comfortable. No matter how big the venue. It was an extraordinary thing to watch in the early days because you had this. Oh, everybody! Ah, yeah, right, 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 and you. He disarmed an audience with his accent yeah. and his manner, but then his material was banging as well. So yeah, yeah, completely. He was incredible. So we both got to the final, as did Paul Foot and a few other people. I can't yeah. remember most of the lineup now. Justin Lee Collins, funny enough. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and we we got to the final, and and, and we we shared. We sort of got the flat together because we were from the north. Yeah. We were the northern representation, sort of thing. And I got to know him then, really, and, and uh, he should have won it. Mm-hmm. It was a televised thing. Paul Foot won it, in my opinion. Peter smashed it. I don't know what the yeah. political, you know, you know, political winner shock. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so, so we got back to uh, to Manchester. We just started hitting it off, and we had exa- we had very similar views on comedy and heat. Yeah. Growing up with the rising damps and the porridges and the goons, and so yeah. we all, we sort of hit off each other. And then Peter said, "Oh, and was then I got to realise that Pete was was, was was sort of on this different track. You know, he was on this yeah. different sort of stratosphere." Um, and then Pete said, "Oh, I'm, I'm doing this. Um, I'm doing this thing called the A6, which was a, which was a, he'd been given a right commission, right? 
and he said, "Do you want to uh, do you want to do anything in it?" So I said, "Well, what, what, what do you want to do?" Because he knew I was an actor as well. Yes. So he said, "Well, he said, do you like writing?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So he said, "Well, there's a character uh, in this. His thing was called the A6, and it was him and Dave Spikey who'd right. long yeah. been yeah. mates for a while, yeah, yeah. and they were driving up. The A6 is the longest A road in, in right. Britain. Yeah. So it was like a documentary comedy about him and Dave driving up the A6, and visiting different places. Yeah. One of the places he visited was the Apollo Theatre in Manchester. Right. And he said to me, there's a part there for, for, for a theatre manager if you want to play it. So I, I took, so basically he said, you, you know, let's designate four, four or five, six pages and come up with something. Yeah. So I came up with this really camp, um, one-legged uh, theatre boss that was like talking yeah. like that and showing Peter around and being thought of, oh, you, you know, you, yeah. you just start starting out to stand up and I've heard you off the telly and, and we were doing this thing because a, a, a light had fallen on his leg during an REO Speedwagon concert. Right. Right. He'd lost his leg and it was all this stupid stuff. Yeah. So anyway, it, it started with that. We, the A6 went out and, and then Peter, had, as well as getting to the final of the BBC, Peter got to the final So You Think You're Funny. Right. And he won it. Right. And part of that was a Channel 4 commission for one episode, a one pilot episode. Oh, wow. Of something. Yeah. So what he did was he sort of amalgamated the A6 and some of the stuff he'd seen in the A6 and, he, and he'd come up with this thing called The Services, which yeah. was just a one-off, uh, which was um, about De- Peter playing various roles in a service station yeah. on just off uh, in Bolton, just off yeah. the A666, I guess. And he asked me again if I wanted to uh, contribute a little character in. So I, I wrote this um, this guy who's collecting money for cancer dressed as a, a lion. So he's got a ciggy in one hand and... Yeah, yeah, the other yeah. and just fucking, and he's taking money out. <laughs> he's taking money out the pot to phone his missus, who's who's having an affair with his brother. It was just a really yeah, weird. Yeah, sort yeah, of. yeah, yeah. And then that's how that sort of started. Pete then was just flying. I started touring with Pete, doing a little bit because we were mates. And, yeah. Um, and then uh, and then Pete signed with Phil McIntyre, who was a huge agent at the time at Victoria Wood and Caroline. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and did these massive rock gigs and rock uh, tours with yeah. McIntyre. Uh, and then he'd gone to um, the, the services went down really well, and he went to Channel Four basically, and, and, and they saw the star in the making. And, yeah. and he was offered six half-hour comedies, yeah. which became the Peter Kay thing. Yeah. So he got he sat down with me and Dave and said, you know, do you want to write it with me? Do you want to write it with us? So it was really exciting. It was like, yeah, you know, we want to, and I could feel things happening yeah. then, you know. But at the same time, I'd written my first feature film. Yeah. I'd written a feature film called Going Off Big Time, which was, right. a, which was a film set in Liverpool, uh, and we'd got finance. We'd scrabbled together finance. Yeah, 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 Greenlit yeah. the film on 90 grand. We went to, wow. The director went to Fuji and said, have you got any cameras not being used? Can we have one? And they gave us a, a, a fucking 60 mil anamorphic Amazing. camera. Amazing. Huge, like, yeah, cinemascope Ben Hare yeah, camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a load of film stock, and, and, we, and we shot a feature film as well, which ended up oh, being... Wow. Uh, went to was premiered in the Cannes Film Festival and, 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 and made That's a fortune amazing. made a fortune for people I'll never meet yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah but it's still part of best of best of Channel 4's best of 4 best of British season the film falls I love that That's so, yeah. so that was I had that going on at the same time yeah. so, so we wrote the Peter we wrote the Peter K thing which was six half hours different ones we had one about a, an ice cream seller we had, yeah. that we did elements of taxi driver in and yeah 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 we had one called Leonard, which was about Leonard the Tomkinson, which was the oldest paper paper boy in, in Bolton, based on a true character. Oh, right. <laughs> um, and then, so that won the British Comedy Award. We, yeah. we, won, we ended up winning the British Comedy Award. So then, sort of people were taking notice then. Yeah. And then, off the back of that, Pete got another commission, and he decided that the best, looking at the six episodes we'd written for the Peter Cave thing, one of them was called uh, In the Club. Yeah. And it was a 
very different looking, but it was Brian Potter and it was Dave playing Jerry Sinclair. Right. And it was just basically it was a day in the life of a really dodgy club owner in yeah, a wheelchair. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we based elements of it on, on the idea that supposedly Bernard Manning burnt down four of his own clubs or something in the past right. to get the insurance money. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whether well, that's true or not, I don't yeah. know. But we so we so we had three clubs that flooded and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So we built the series, and that's that was the birth of of, of Phoenix Knights. Yeah. Really, we sat down the three of us and started. We started bouncing off each other. We bounced off each other in a way that you know people might never do. We wrote yeah. the first series in eight weeks. That's we wrote amazing. six half hours in eight weeks. That's insane. Shot the second draft. I mean, it was insane. It really was nuts. It, it, the, the the beauty of it is it's a show that, that allows you to grab any of the good bits or good tone or good feeling from old comedy that should be left in the past yeah. really grab the good bits because it's just enjoyable yeah. and then but then make it modern add add modern laughs add a uh, a side eye look oh, at yeah. certain things but again it's, I, I love that fact that it allows you to go well I know a lot of that club comedy is awful but it was going for a long time. There must be something good there. It's so incredible. It allowed you to grab those. Well, what those we did, bits. I mean, the thing is about it, very little, very little of Phoenix Nights is about the accidents yeah. on the stage. Yeah. It's about the ongoings. And weirdly, the three of us connected because Peter loved and used to go to social clubs like that. And yeah. they were, they're the heart and soul of the North West. Completely. And the North yeah. and, and other areas around. The yeah. di- and, and, it's a, and I think it was because it was that dinosaur and that dying thing. Yeah. But you would have them, you know, Sitting there with the chicken in the basket on a Friday. Yeah, I mean, most of and the that's exactly it. It's weird because they get a bad name because of some of the acts now. So because of the stuff going on on stage, but exactly as Phoenix Knights kind of highlights, that's only a portion yeah. of what those clubs were about. It yeah. was about that your mum and your nana there with you. Yeah, that like the whole family's there, and you've all got your chicken and you're sharing it in a bar, and and and, 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 and the drinks are very cheap. All all the extras were club. Members, yeah. club regulars, all real people to do. Brilliant. But essentially, Phoenix Knights is ex- it, it follows exactly the same route as as as, as, as the things that influenced those, the rising damps, um, and the, and the porridges and and the, and the Stepton Sons. It was about yeah. ultimately about a relationship between Jerry Sinclair and, and Brian Potter. Yeah. Um, and then all these sorts of people around them who sort of were on the peripheral, and and, and how and it's actually something that's echoed a little bit in Panther, the yeah. thing we're doing at the moment, which yeah. is this world where people people only really are at the best in their group. Yeah, together. It's, it's, it's what I'm, I'm, I'm loving about Panther, is it's a film about about wrestling, but again, it's similar. It's not really about wrestling. No. And I'm, as, as, as I've discussed a little bit, I'm a massive wrestling fan. Yeah. So it's, it's one of them that I've heard about it, and I was like, oh, it's something, and then I read the script, I was like, all right, this is like the wrestling is is, is one of the yeah. the, the small yeah. things that is pulling everyone together. But it's really, again, it's about it's about togetherness, yeah, and and and, and a local society yeah. And, yeah. and a group of people exactly. kind of coming together rather than it's about a world yeah. men's club yeah. or it's about this or about that. Yeah, yeah I mean, Phoenix Nights was about a club that was on its knees, really. I mean, it was it was it was it was clinging onto a, 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 a past. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there was something wonderful about that world still, and yeah. uh, and also. Again, them anarchic qualities. I mean, we were the first, we were the first sitcom British comedy to say fuck. Really on TV, yeah. Oh, really? We had wow. a, we had a scene when when we had a scene with Brian. I mean, Potter's I need to applaud because yeah, yeah. that's that's much needed. Yeah. That's... Well, we, we 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 were the. I mean, Channel Four got on them as well for for yeah. that. We had this. We had this. Uh, in fact, I wrote this piece where Peter's on a series of dates with a uh, with this young girl played by Joanne Rice, played brilliantly by Joanne Rice. Yeah. 
so they go, I mean, he's in a wheelchair, but they go on these really ridiculous, inappropriate dates. So one's paintballing, so he's like stuck in the mud getting yeah, shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they go bowling, and she so, he sort of throws the ball and then carries on himself and falls into the gutter. Yeah. And then one of them, they're in a restaurant. And I come up with this idea that they're in the restaurant. And, but I did it to music, to be fair. And, uh, and, uh, and as they're as at the restaurant, the woman comes over with the, with the bucket of roses. And because Pete's character's tight, yeah. he sort of you know, chooses food, and then you see him go, but and he's, but he's yeah. doing it in company. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Pete said, "No, let's do it loud. Let's do it out loud." Let's. And so we were like, "Yeah." And we were constantly getting battered back and forth in Channel Four, going. And we used to put stuff in the script, knowing yeah. Channel Four would say no, mm. just for a laugh. For our... I, I, I love that that change has come though. It's it's a, a weird one. I was discussing this again. I like with the thing that I was writing and having seen, having worked on two shows that went through FX for example, and, and, and one with the BBC and seeing the give and take and what you have to, to pull and pull. And the thing I said to my uh, my agent was, look, I want to find somewhere that will allow us, like, <laughs> it's going, it's kind of, to paraphrase the whole, the classic freedom of speech quote of, um, I may not agree with what you're saying, but I'll defend your right yeah. to say it with my last dying breath. Um, I may not want to say fuck, but I yeah. will defend my right to say yeah. fuck with my yeah. last time. It's like, Absolutely. I'm not saying, I might have an episode that has no, but I, there was a one thing I worked on and it was weird because they were literally, I overheard them saying, well, we've got an allotment of fucks per yeah, episode. That's right, that's right. So we've got three or something like that or yeah. two or one. And I was like, right, that blew my mind. I was yeah. like, right, no, I want to have an episode that if I want, I'll say fuck 10 yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. I'll also have the next episode, I might not say it at all, yeah, but yeah. if it's right in that story yeah, and in that yeah. script and it's natural, then it feels crazy to say, oh, you've already used your three. Yeah, it's incredible. You can used my three. What is this? You can have this wonderful, you have this this? wonderful situation where you'll have someone from, <laughs> from, from the BBC saying, right, you can, you can swap a motherfucker for a cunt. I mean, literally, you yeah, can, you yeah, can yeah, have this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what you can't do, interestingly, is say Jesus. <laughs> anything, anything. You can't really? say Jesus. Yeah, yeah. You can't say, you can't. It, uh, the BBC, you can't. You have to change it. It's crazy, isn't so, it? Yeah, so, so... So there were elements of, of, of Phoenix Knight that were quite groundbreaking, in, in, yeah. in a sense, because there was always that anarchic side to it, you know, there was always that. Yeah. I, I, I want, it was something that, that, that was warm and cuddly for people to watch, yeah. but also had a bit of a... Whoa, yeah, you know had I mean? that edge. But in, in a natural yeah. a, a way. Um, well, I'll start to wrap things up, because people are going to start coming in for food soon, but um, let's talk at the end about a peep show, because it's... It's genuinely iconic and revolutionary. Yeah. It, it, it changed comedy a lot. I, I think it should be, and off it is, but it should be put up there with the, the Office and these other shows that came out and said, "Here's something you've not seen before." Yeah. And Peep Show is the one that we've not seen since either. No, so, it's just, no. so the Office it revolutionising in that there's tons of things now that are yeah. taking that element. Yeah. But how was that to work on and? It was, it was, and be involved it, it's in. an interesting one I mean, I'm the only actor who's been in all three you know I was yeah. in the office yes yeah, so of course you were in the first in, in the first episode of the office first, was it? Was in the first, 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 series, first episode first series first episode and last episode of the first series got sacked and had yeah. this whole conversation about dwarves and midgets with them yeah um, yeah of course but Peep Show was an interesting one because I, Phoenix Knights was doing really well and I got a phone call Rachel Freck was, was casting yeah. it was originally called POV right yeah because that that's the sense. camera yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And uh, and I went down and met the writers uh, Sam and Jesse and, and and well I went for I read for Superhands and, and they went actually why don't you try Jeff and I said okay yeah. and they said they explained the character and stuff I said well yeah that's 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 something Superhands Mac I think Mac King was already in my yeah, fan yeah. he, he was glorious yeah amazing um, so initially it was a, it was a lot of fun to do but it got it wasn't the most um, 
Like this is a really fun job to do. Yeah. I was, I was, I was going to ask because it's it's an unusual. What makes it unique yes. makes it unique as 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 what makes it uniquely enjoyable as a viewer makes it a unique experience as yeah. the actor because it is all POV. Yeah. So it is. I'd imagine it's actually hard to get particularly close working relationships. Yeah. I guess and things like that because you're doing it more to the cameraman. Yeah. Every scene. Well, when right? we, I mean, you're going to have guys there and doing reads. They've got to be there. Not, the hardest part of it was was because you were used to as an actor you were used to never looking down the lens. You, yeah. know, you don't look down the bottle. Yeah, you don't yeah, do it. yeah, yeah. And then it was look down the bottle all the yeah, time, and yeah. it was like so, you, so you'd find yourself kind of fighting this edge. <laughs> Trying not. The to. first series we had a harness built with a camera right. with a, with a small lens that was right in the centre, bridge the top of your right. nose, right in between your eyes, which made it harder because you, what you want to look at is either side of what you've got to look at. Yeah, yeah. Of so, course. but the biggest problem with that was that it would dig into your head. So when you took it off. You'd have to wait for the marks to go before you shot your yeah. reverse, so or shot your single. So oh, that that's was fascinating. That camera is, is. I was watching recently uh, again in my obs- obsessive need to to bring myself up to speed as much as I can. I've been watching. I watched an amazing uh, Michael Caine um, masterclass. A, a masterclass, and in that he's got his bit where he's saying, "Favor the eye, yeah. pick the left up, well, pick fa- the eye nearest the camera." Nearest the camera. Because yeah. um, he was saying you. You, you won't notice it, but if you're going from eye to eye, it's this slight change yeah, that yeah. will lose all strength in yeah. in your delivery. So I can imagine if it's in the middle, you're going to be going from you're eye going to from eye and from, one, from, and from the, and middle the middle and making an absolute mess there. Really extraordinary trying to, trying to do it. <laughs> so that was that was quite. I think we did. To be honest with you, I think we did half the first series like that. Yeah, and then we just went look. It was more to do with the time, the consuming time consuming to get the marks off. Yeah, because yeah. I think it was had to be snug. Yeah. You know, they tried all kinds of things, and then they went handheld over the shoulder, and, yeah. and and then we flew with it then. But it was a lot of fun to do. But uh, the problem was that it wasn't one of those jobs where you went for a drink with people afterwards. It wasn't. Yeah. It was a very Olivia Coleman. I absolutely love. She's wonderful. Yeah, she's Rob, Rob, uh, yeah, Rob. I absolutely love as well. Um, yeah. uh, and Dave, to be honest with you, yeah. it was there was a lovely cast and a lovely crew. Yeah, it's just that there wasn't a lot of interaction with me. Yeah, I was sort of coming down from the north to do this job, and it was all sort of. You know, yeah. at the, particularly at, you know, coming off a show that there was wrote real with camaraderie. Two of yeah, your yeah, really good yeah, mates yeah. that you would be yeah. in the pub with, regardless, yeah, even absolutely. if you weren't doing a show. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it was an odd one. It was very much kind of down to the professionalism of like coat and wrap and go yeah. back to your hotel and then. Yeah. Um, but then it got it got towards the the latter part of the series. I've got to admit it. It got a bit. I found. I found it getting a bit disrespectful to me and the character because, oh, really? well, I was getting one word to say in yeah, one episode yeah. and it was just got a bit ridiculous. I only really carried on doing it because as a sense of loyalty because I'd been in the first series and I yeah. thought, well, I'll see them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just felt, you know what, if I'm being totally honest, then why not? Yeah. Um, it was disrespectful to me as right. a performer because I, I would never write to someone who'd been in the very first series of a job and all the way through it. I wouldn't write them one line. Similarly to what, or what we were saying earlier, give them a good exit or don't rather than just kind of yeah. s- say that and I think, Jeff, I think Jeff I think the character of Jeff was probably the biggest nemesis Mark had I was going to say it must have been great to play the villain yeah. but not in a drama of any yeah. so yeah. really kind of you get that character of he's the the, the yeah Hundred percent, the main, the main enemy, the main bad guy is. But also, I mean, I get Even it. He's not. I get it on a daily basis because such is the impact that the uh, Peep Show had in yeah. this country. You know, Jeff was such a arsehole. But yeah. actually, when you look at the at the piece, Jeff 
was the voice of the people watching Mark. Yeah. Because Mark, Mark's character is really two-faced. He yeah. fucking, he's got an opinion on everyone. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. You know, he, he'll look at someone and say hi, and they go, oh, I hate you, you asshole, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Jeff was the one going, you're, actually, you're an asshole, yeah. you're a dickhead. And, yeah. Um, and I just, I just felt uh, it was unfortunate, but I felt that you should have had it. You killed them off completely. Yeah. Or, you, but the drip feed of one line got a bit. You, you've got to give credence there to the the power of the writers. To you're completely right. They've they've written a lead and loved character who's absolutely oh appalling. He's, like, a, like, he's, he's, he's annoying and horrible and nasty and snarky. Yet you, 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 yeah. you're still on his side. You're still and on his side. I said, yes. Jeff is saying you're right. He's saying what. We should be thinking, yeah. but the way it's shot and the way it's presented, oh, we're not thinking. Yeah, absolutely. It could easily have been a switch that, yeah. that uh, Jeff's the good guy and, and, and he's the bad guy. Incredible writing. And, and Sam and Jesse are brilliant writers. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I've got a lot of respect for them. I just yeah. thought that it's sort of... At the end there. It's it sort of yeah. left a bit of a bit of taste because you go, well, you know, I was kind of a part of a series, so if you don't want Jeff in it, like you yeah. just said, just get rid of him. Just get an ended. But, but I'd get the call every year. They've written, yeah, they've written one scene for you and I go, like... Really? So I go to my agent. Well, I just tell him to sod off. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then I thought, no, I know people like Jeff. I know. Yeah. The, I know the people. You know, people watching people show like Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, no, I'll, I'll you know, I'll the keep doing it. That, but yeah. but it, there were many times I think because I think from series three, we yeah. got to series nine. I think I literally did six series and probably did seven scenes in six series. So you just think it? that's a bit naff, like. But but yeah. I, I, you know, I, I'm ultimately incredibly proud of it as a show. Yeah, yeah, um, um, amazing. And I said an iconic one to have on there when. When we both tweeted a picture of us, the bulk of the responses were talking about Jeff. Jeff, we're coming to Easter Hand, are we? Yeah. Don't hang out with Jeff. Yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah, and things yeah. like that. I said that was lovely. So, well, I'll wrap things up now. Um, the tough question at the end is always a what's ahead, because in the acting industry, you generally can't talk about what's ahead. So, is there any plans or anything ahead that you've got that you can? Um, no, I, there isn't really. Well, I'm going. I'm doing a bit of stand. My stand-up's yeah. constant, so that'll yeah. always be there. I've got the Slaughterhouse Pub, and well, there's the Slaughterhouse Pub in the pool, but it's called the Laughter House, and yeah. it's, it's run by Laughter House Comedy, and I'm the uh, resident company right. there. So that's something that just gives us our. It's constantly there. Yeah, gives us our outlet. It gives yeah. us our thing to stay sharp and to do yeah. our stuff like that. So Completely. that's a constant. Anything else, like my career thus far, is up in the air. Really, yeah. it's Perfect. you know, I, I, I hope that uh, the things come on. For the last six years, I've done a thing called Man Pleasant, which was great, but that's yeah. been stopped. Right, yeah. So it's that, I'm back to that complete unpredictability of the it's, business it's, now. It's what I'm loving and scared of in this industry is exactly that. And I've, I've, I've said it a few times. I started last year. Um, I'd done the Bastard Executioner and King Arthur, and they were the two things I'd done. But I started that year for the first time, because I stopped touring, Yeah. for the first time with zero idea what yeah. I was doing that year. I knew I had a lot of things I wanted to do, and then on January 6th, I got a, a phone call to say I'd, I'd got the role in Taboo, and yeah. that was the first half of the year. Yeah. And then it's that it's that whole thing, and this was a similar one. I just yeah. got the call off Stevie, and it was like, it shoots soon. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's petrifying for me, because I'm used to, again, as you will with comedy as well, planning a tour, or booking yeah. a tour, and knowing I'm going out for these dates, and that's that. But it's kind of a buzz in this. It, it, is, it, it really is. A bit is. Of it. it can, can go like that. It really is. And for the last six years... I've been do I've been I've been busy for the first six months of the year, and for the last three years, I did two shows back to back. So most of my year was booked out. Yeah. So you do suddenly go, oh wait a minute, well, the yeah. floor's moving, and I don't know what's going on, and I've got a mortgage. Yeah. But then, thank God, in a way that, that I've been allowed to do this because yeah. I wouldn't. I've missed a lot of jobs doing them jobs. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, this is this is a glorious job to work on. Yeah, I've met some great people like you and some incredibly talented people like you fun, and yeah. 
and and yeah, long may continue. So yeah. fingers crossed. So, so, so where can people keep up to date with you? You're on, on Twitter. I'm on, on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. It's uh, at Fitzy Fella. Perfect. Well, sure. thank you very much. Uh, uh, let's go and see if catering's open. Let's go, man. Thank you, Pip. Thank you, Pop. There we go. I mean, as you can see, just an absolute a legend and such a nice guy. So it's been amazing working with him and he just like we hit it off instantly. Um I'm blessed to be, be doing these these acting roles where I seem to be just landing with amazing people um who just are really nice and welcoming and, and are teaching me a lot. I'm I'm getting an amazing crash course in in this in this game so yeah hope you enjoyed that one um i'll be back next week as i mentioned earlier on with chris fairbank and it's a two-parter and honestly you don't want to miss a second of it he's led an amazing life um i don't think it's it's rude to say he's 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 um an older gentleman he's in his 60s um and a lot of people have said in the past that i should have more older people on to hear their stories of life. And I definitely, I, I love that. I love sitting down with people. But Chris doesn't, I don't know, he, he's 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 wise with his age. He's not some, oh, everything I'm going to say now is going to sound offensive towards the elderly. He's not some decrepit old man. He's a wonderfully sharp, intelligent and articulate individual with the best voice in the world. So it was great to make the first half really just about what his life was like so not even really getting into any showbiz stuff I guess at the start we talk a little bit about working together on Taboo and a little bit about working together on Walk Like a Panther Um, but other than that it's just about growing up in them times and then in part two we get into the film and TV industry and it's absolutely amazing so check that out next week Um, if you enjoyed this one who'd be good to go back and listen to Um, Stephen Graham obviously uh let's think some comedians and comedy actors um so i've had simon Pegg, i've had nick frost i've had tom davis um loads of good people so yeah go and check everyone out ramesh ranganathan brett goldstein there's a lot to to sift through so enjoy that and uh, i'll see you next week